Hello everybody, it's Samantha and welcome to the Layman's Doctor podcast. I know, I know, it's been such a long time, but I think um, we're here and we're back with a bang. I'm here with a guest. I'm here with Javion Nelson, a longtime friend of mine, and we're going to be discussing advocacy, you know, um, talking about topics around advocacy um, advocacy is huge right now. We're seeing a lot of things happening because of COVID-19. Right now we're talking about abortion in Jamaica again. And I think it's a great time for us to have a conversation about advocacy. What is advocacy? How we can become advocates? How we can become involved? And I think Javion is a great person for that. I am going to let him introduce himself and tell us a little bit about who he who he is and some of the work that he's done in advocacy oh dear hi <laughs> well, thanks for having me um it's a pleasure to finally make appearance on your great podcast um so for those who don't know i'm javion i um, spend quite a lot of time working at JFLAG and I've been involved in civil society work and doing advocacy for many, many, many years. Um, started out doing quite a bit of advocacy from I was in high school back in my community in Clarendon um, and, you know, coming to Kingston and still doing that at the national level. Um, my work focuses on human rights and social justice. And yeah, I'm very happy to be here. Yes. So I don't remember how Javion and I met, but we met like 10 years ago. I feel like I keep saying it's 10 years and now it's more than 10 years. But we met out some while ago while I was still in high school. And um, I know it's through you that I eventually got involved with advocacy when I was finally around 18. And I was a part of J flag and a part of Equality Youth Jamaica and get a lot and I got a lot of my advocacy training which I think is being shown now through the layman's doctor and through my tweets and everything now a lot of that grassroots training is what I want to call it I got from my involvement in advocacy and even Jamaica Youth Advocacy Network and now eventually um women empowerment for change so what is advocacy jay what would you describe as advocacy i mean for me um what i always use really i just think advocacy is about representing the voiceless representing people and standing up for people in whatever way you can in different circumstances in different spaces so um you know i think the important thing about advocacy is recognizing that there are differences and there are different levels but at the end of the day if you are an advocate you really are about representing people's needs and um, ensuring that they're included in different processes exactly and i know we've had several conversations about advocacy and what advocacy is and i like to talk about how i know i made a tweet recently about how simply tweeting or just having conversations in your own circle is a form of advocacy i think a lot of us when we think about being an advocate we think about demonstrations going to parliament writing policies and we fail to realize that uh, just 
sharing information in our own circles a lot of the times acts as a form of advocacy. Yeah, I think because I, th- I feel like for a lot of people, people see advocacy as this big, difficult thing that only a few people can do and not realizing that, well, all of us can actually be advocates. All of us can actually stand up and have stood up at some point in our lives for people who we think are vulnerable or voiceless or marginalized for different reasons. And I think we also um, tend to look at people who are sort of like paid advocates and um, well-known for different things. You might look at somebody from a Jamaicans for Justice and feel, well, I'll never be able to measure up and to speak like that person because, well, I don't know the law, I don't know what police is supposed to do, etc. But simply stand up and say, well, I'm not for, I'm against police abuse and I believe that the state must do more to, to protect the vulnerable from being abused is a form of advocacy. So... And I think we kind of sometimes um, look at like the activism and the advocacy and kind of mix it up. And it doesn't help that we're a very small country. So you kind of have the same sets of people oftentimes organizing both ways. But there are also differences as well. So, you know, your advocate, the advocacy is a lot about representing. And then the activism for me is a lot about some of the things that we do. You know, for example, like a protest, as you mentioned, Though, of course, people can kind of um, cut across the two and stuff. But I think the important thing everybody must always recognize is that, as you said, Sam, is that we can all be advocates at workplaces, at church, wherever. And, you know, there's a funny story of me attempting to be an advocate, perhaps when I was in fourth form um, or fifth form at church and, you know, going to the pastor. You know, people were always in the church talking and saying things and you know lots of rumor around about how the church was poorly governed at the time and stuff and you know, i went and i like people are not pleased with you sir like <laughs> something about it and i mean i was a little too audacious as a little teenager and i sort of gave him an ultimatum that he needs to shake up or move out um it didn't really end well thankfully that did not cramp my style um you know what i Eventually, I kind of got a suspension from from active duty in church about three or six months. But <laughs> nonetheless, um, you know, we can advocate in different ways. I want to point out that I think COVID nineteen is a very good example of uh, of people being individual advocates. I don't know if this is like a an actual term, but that's what I like to call it. Because now that we have to, for example, wash our hands, sanitize, social distance, and then know with the vaccine, you see a lot of persons within their own circles still talking about the importance of doing these measures. And a lot of persons are talking to their friends and families about why they should take the vaccine when it comes. And for me, for me personally, I don't know if it comes under the definition of advocacy, but that's just one example of how or small circle being um or small circle and being an influence in a small circle can actually have ripple effects yeah uh, you know cuz i think the funny thing is people think that only one set of people can be advocates and that they have to be connected to an organization and be involved in mm-hmm. advocacy but when you're advocating you're advocating at different levels it can be at the individual level in the family at the community level at institutional level at the national level at parish level so there are so many different spaces in which we all advocate and if you're working 
and something isn't going right or you feel like people are denied promotion or opportunities and stuff and you stand up for those people as a manager or just a regular um, employee standing up to your, your, your superiors, for example, that's a form of advocacy. So, so many of us, as you rightly said, advocate online and offline and constantly challenge our friends and families and, and, and colleagues to do better, mm-hmm. to think about things differently and to recognize that we can all contribute to making society a better place. So we're advocating in different ways. So it's not just about the person who does it for a nine to five or actively call themselves an advocate. All of us are doing it. And you're right, I think you're right in terms of the COVID-19 pandemic. How, for example, at the start when people were advocating about where's the PPE for medical workers, for example, and police officers and other frontline workers. And, you know, what are we doing now about the vaccine and how are we going to prioritize the vulnerable? And ensuring that those with comorbidities and those who are on the front line are going to be first in line for the for the vaccine is a part of is a form of advocacy, but we just don't recognize it as such. And I think part of the reason too is that people also sort of actively kind of don't want themselves to be labeled as advocates because in a lot of ways we have in some way or form demonized advocates as well at different points in our lives. And you look at people who talk about um, equal treatment and against police brutality and we kind of demonize them that, oh, well, those human rights advocates only business about um, criminals and stuff like that, when that is not the case because whatever they advocate for impacts on all of us so that we can know that we get fair treatment when we engage with the police or come in conflict with the law. You know, same thing for people who are working around broader human rights issues. It's not just for gay people or um, abortion or stuff like that. It's for everybody and it's to ensure that people can actually um, live better lives and that they can access and enjoy them rights um, just like anybody else. Exactly. When we had spoken about advocacy, um, he had said representing people. But is there a role for being an advocate for yourself or even your own community? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think in a lot of ways, especially in the kind of society we live in, quite often the advocates are also working on issues that are very dear and personal to them. You know, a lot of the people who talk about um, sexual violence, for example, and advocate around those issues would have been impacted in different ways. Some who have been victims and survivors of sexual violence, um, such as rape. Some who would have had family members or listened to close friends given their story. Um, same thing for stuff like abortion or access to condoms and lubricants. You know, perhaps people who would have had challenges as young people and recognizing that is the same thing for people who do LGBT advocacy. Um, you know, I like to, I think, for example, like my friend Karen likes to talk about the story of why she become, became an, a, an LGBT advocate in, a, in addition to the many other things that she advocates for. And it's because of a friend of hers from high school who identified or was seen as gay and was being bullied and she had to stood up, stand up for him. And so she's been doing that since then. So I think for many of us, when we advocate, it's, about, it's almost always something personal. Even if you are not necessarily directly affected by the thing, there's some kind of personal connection. I mean, for me, when I got into LGBT advocacy, I didn't necessarily have any kind of experiences or anything, but I always said to people that, well, for my friends who have shared stories, I want to ensure that 
they can actually live and not have to worry about homophobia and transphobia and stuff like that, and that they don't have to worry about being kicked out of their homes and not supported by their family and friends. And, you know, I think it's it's the same for a number of people, just that some of us have very, very personal experiences for the things we advocate for, and some of us not very personal, but still connected in one way or the other. Do you think that uh, that connection necessarily adds anything or takes away from your role as an advocate? You know, I think it can, and I feel, but I think there's a there's an inherent danger that can come with can come with it, and I think it has to be carefully managed. And I know quite often when people think of advocates, especially for certain. Um, issues you kind of think of well what is your story and what is your legitimacy in advocating for this do you actually have first-hand experience and I think there's of course utility and lots of value in someone having personal experience about maybe abortion or not having access to condoms and lubricants or having um, been abused by a, a member of the security force for example but um, there's also value in having people who may not have had um, a personal experience for themselves, but are just passionate about the issue and recognize that this is an, a challenge. Because I think you have to find that kind of balance, because while the passion is important from a personal experience, I think it can also sometimes um, cloud how we think about different mm-hmm. Um, and all of us have our different um, pet peeves and things that kind of get us riled up a little bit differently from other stuff. And so you always need to be able to find that balance. You know, you as an advocate have to know, well, maybe it is that your personal experience can challenge you and cause you to react in certain ways to certain things. And so then you also need people who do not necessarily have those experiences to help to guide you while you also help to guide them so you can find the common ground and understand because i think what we have to recognize at least in my perspective i feel like advocacy is also a lot about balancing different things and understanding perspectives and and being able to see how people come from different spaces and contribute to movements and contribute effectively even if they have not had a a personal experience Um, and that when we do this, we if we constantly say, what's your personal experience, you're kind of shutting people out, right? And then you never, ever really get to the numbers that you want to have that kind of impact where people are advocating and, and doing activism for different causes. And I think about myself all the time as someone doing this you know when i started in like srh advocacy i wasn't having sex i didn't necessarily need to be able to access condoms and lubricants or um go to a, a medical a healthcare worker for certain things but i understood from my friends who were sexually active and from people who i started to meet in different spaces that these issues are things that are dear to them and very concerning and that they may have been denied at different points and some would have become pregnant, for example. And so therefore, I recognize that I had a duty as somebody who's perhaps more privileged in that space, having not had those kinds of experiences, to stand up for them and to help make representation for them and to also give them a voice. And I think we always have to be very careful about that. And I feel you know, it's, a, it's a, a struggle, I think, for many advocates to 
oftentimes find legitimacy in whatever they're advocating, but also to sort of um, effectively balance all the different things, including their personal experiences and opinions and concerns with what must be represented in terms of the movement. I don't know if it makes sense, let's say, if, if, if you <laughs> answer your question. Yes, you did. I think, I think when I learned the value of... Uh, when I learned the value of having persons who are directly affected by the, by the cause that you're advocating for being of benefit was in HIV advocacy personally. Cause I remember always going to, you know, the, the, the breakfast that they always have. Right. And I, at, at some point we kind of saw the shift where involvement of People of living with people living with HIV voices, it became more deliberate as we changed the strategy around um, HIV advocacy. And I think in that sense, um, with topics like that, in that sense, there is value to the personal story, and there is value to have persons who are affected by these issues speaking up. But then on the flip side, you're right when you say that sometimes it can possibly cloud your judgment or it may are or it might make you more emotional i don't know if that's a good way to put it but i think there's value in having someone who is looking on the outside because you get two you get several different perspectives and a solution that you might have been affected by the problem and a solution that someone might not have who say is not affected by the problem may even exist in a place of privilege where they're the where they're the majority for argument's sake um and can see how how you can enter those spaces so that your problems can can kind of can kind of sometimes i think about advocacy as like a marketing pitch Mm-hmm. Because if, for example, I have an issue and my issue is that uh, um, that's something arbitrary. I don't like that. I don't know. I, I don't like the color of something, right? Um, say the color of a room is just white and it's just bland and it's just boring. And I think that it would be a more productive space if it had some, if it had better decorations or it had. Um, other furniture involved right and it's bothering me i'm the one working in the room someone who isn't working in the room but let's say is in charge of actually um getting the furniture for the business that i work in they might not be bothered because they're like well you're producing the work it doesn't really affect me why should i even be interested right and then a third party comes along, you're sharing this issue with them, and it's almost like a light bulb thing coming. I say, oh, all you have to do is say something that it will increase your numbers or it will make you um, be able to do something that will, I don't know, either affect them or affect the bottom line or just make sense to them, right? Yeah. So... What I don't want it to seem like, which is an issue that we have sometimes, is where I don't want it to seem like you can only get benefit 
for something that you are advocating for if it benefits the other party because then it seems like a transactional maybe give or take thing Mm -hmm. but i think we fail to realize that sometimes the issues that we're having are big issues to us but for the people who hold the power a lot of times or have the ability to create the change that you want it's a non-issue to them because they don't see the value in it and uh, Sometimes it takes a middle person who kind of has a li- who identifies a little bit with the person who is in power and can create a change, and then the person who is having the issue to say, "Oh, I know how to translate this so you can actually get what you want." Right. And a lot of times, I think that's what advocacy does. Advo- and I see advocates as that middle person. So instead of while I find that there is value in just amplifying the voices. It's also solution-oriented where we can say, okay, how can we go from point A to point B? Mm-hmm. And an advocate usually acts as that where they can act as a liaison, they can act as the bridge, they can act as that person that says, all right, I can figure out a way how to get that solution. And yes, sometimes the person who, is, who has experienced that, a lot of times the person who has experienced it is oftentimes can also act as that liaison person especially within our advocacy um culture in jamaica where a lot of the advocates have been personally whether through friendships or them themselves it's a personal cause for them i think um sometimes we forget that that's what the advocate acts as in my opinion the person to get you from point a to point b and help you to get you in the spaces where you can get the changes, um, get you to the persons who have the power and who can kind of shift the dynamic so that it benefits you. Yeah, absolutely. I, 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 you know, you're spot on. And I think that's why there's such value, as you say, in everybody kind of coming together, like a big marketplace of different, different people, different, different depths in their pockets, for example, being able to support in different ways. And I feel it's the same thing with advocacy. It's just that people come from different experiences, different spaces, and can add different things to it. It's just like a business. If you have a business, you need people of different skill sets and experiences and educational backgrounds and qualifications to be able to contribute effectively to the entity so that you can actually be the best in your sector and and stuff. And I feel like for advocacy, it's the same. You need people from all walks of life and stuff to be able to fully do what you want to do and to do it very well. What happens when advocacy becomes, in quotation mark, dangerous? Yes, we know that some, sometimes we've seen in the media and in the news where advocates, especially persons like journalists and whatnot who want to bring the truth to light, they can actually have their lives and livelihoods be put at risk, right? I don't necessarily want to go as, I think dramatic is a bad word for this, but I don't want to go as extreme as that. But especially in Jamaica, sometimes we have fear of speaking out and fear of then advocating whether for ourselves or for another group of marginalized persons oftentimes because of that fear of repercussion. So in a roundabout type of way, for persons who might be afraid to advocate for a cause, Mm -hmm. 
whether because it might affect them or the persons that they're advocating for, what are some tips or even suggestions you might have for them to say, all right, this is how you can maybe do it in a safe way or this is another way you can consider doing it? Well, I mean, the first thing really is to know what you can and cannot manage. Like, just be realistic. Like, if you're afraid of certain things, don't take it on. Work through those fears first before you take on certain things. You have to be practical, right? You do not need to be a martyr, right? If you are an advocate, you can actually um, make conscious decisions about what you say and what you don't say. And I don't think that necessarily means that you are selling out or you do, you are not passionate enough. But I think at the end of the day, we all have to focus on self-preservation, right? So if it is that you're going to get up and advocate for something that might literally cost you your job and you have no idea what you will do after, if you lose that job, then you have to make a conscious decision about what you will do and whether or not you're actually going to say something. Um, because when you lose your job, who pays your rent? Who pays for the car loan? Who give your kids money to go to school? Who go and buy you the grocery and stuff like that? Do you even have three or six months worth of savings to actually maintain your life at a particular level until you can find something else? I feel... If you're an advocate and you have fears, one, you have to identify what those fears are and what you need to do to work on those fears, right? And perhaps it is that you give somebody else the information or give suggestions to somebody else who's in a better position to speak about those issues, almost like how a whistleblower from an office might provide the media with information about some case of corruption and the media highlights it, right? Because they're a little bit more protected and a little bit more privileged. It's the same, I think, if it is something that you can't take on, maybe you say something to somebody privately. I feel as well that we also have to recognize that with our fears, we can work through them by developing a strategy about how do we address this in a long term? Because everything does not need to be a short-term sort of outcome. So maybe it is that as st stage one, you're identifying the issue and you're working on yourself and then you're identifying what the problem is and you're developing um, relationships with people who might also have similar problems so that at the end of the day, when actions are taken, you aren't going to be the only one that's impacted, right? But I think overall, all of us, when we're interested in advocacy, have to recognize that we have to deal with our hero complexes and appreciate that we do not have to be martyrs for a cause, that we can actually still represent and do good without trying to save the world like some kind of hero and putting our lives and, and stuff at risk. And yes, there are other inherent dangers outside of like repercussions that might come about because of you opening your mouth. Um, but, you know, if, for example, if you're challenging um, LGBT discrimination, there's lots of homophobia and you might end up having national profile and be known. And so you have to work on that and recognize that maybe it is that you can't advocate nationally, but you can advocate in small spaces, right? So even like when I had started that, when I, I started at JFLAG way back in the day, I wasn't necessarily comfortable about a lot of things, but... Um, it was also a way to sort of challenge myself and to learn about how do I address this issue without putting myself at risk. So 
I didn't publicly identify with the organization and stuff. And I would prefer to um, work in smaller spaces and talk to people. So when I'm in meetings and saying to people, well, you know, they do, you know, their job good and you need to consider LGBT people. I was very comfortable in those spaces because those were things that I were also I was also doing before I started as an organization like JFLAG. Um, and I think people just have to be conscious of all those little things. And I think it, it, it can be difficult, Sam, in that people might start to question themselves and, you know, what's their worth and what they're adding to um, a movement. But if you're preserving yourself, you're preserving yourself. And that doesn't mean you can't contribute to the cause. And I think we have to also admit that it's completely okay. I know you said it before, but it is completely okay. Very okay. To, to consider self-preservation. And I think what what needs to not happen is if you're within a group and you know one person might be at 100% full blast advocacy that that level of advocacy is still that level of advocacy is valuable and the flip side where maybe you're just only comfortable going to small spaces or speaking in small crowds or going to events and not necessarily have your picture being taken and not being seen or associated with the organization still having value um in the advocacy realm and we shouldn't look down on persons who are like oh you know you say you're for this but uh, you're not even it's like you're not comfortable sharing you're not comfortable being the face or being associated and i think it's a it might be a little bit easier to understand with LGBT advocacy within Jamaica and I learned that lesson very quickly about valuing each person's level of comfort in advocacy because you guys had taught us very early on that well well if you're not comfortable going to events and having your picture taken no one is going to judge you for that it's completely okay if you're not okay going to um to a public event like maybe a protest where the media might take a picture that's also okay and i just want to go into also being comfortable and being okay with the type of advocacy that you're willing to do and the type of advocacy you're not willing to do for me personally there are some things that i am more i'm more inclined to doing or i'm more comfortable doing so i will you know i will tweet of course, I will write letters to the editor, fine. Um, I will work on a policy proposal to our legislators. I will work with research. I'm, I'm, I really, you know, I really like that policy mm. aspect of advocacy. To say that I will necessarily go out and do the activism part is another thing. You know, will I go out and protest? Maybe, maybe not. Right? Will I go and, you know, um, you know, sometimes when you're cutting down a tree and you stand up in front of the tree and you're like, no, you can't cut down the tree and block it with the body. That might not be the type of advocacy that you're necessarily comfortable with. And what I think as well, it's also, it doesn't take away the value from that type of advocacy. It's just, I prefer to use my time with more 
legislative stuff, more policy making stuff, because I think that's where my talent is best suited for. My time and my talent are best suited for. You know, mm-hmm. and I just don't. I just don't think there's a wrong way to be. Maybe I should say. No, you're right. There's you're not right. a wrong way to be an advocate or or to do advocacy because I still I look at activism as a form as advocacy. It mm-hmm. is, and it has its place. What I like is when they work synergistically together. So when there is an uproar in the media about something, some injustice, and persons are demonstrating them, they're blocking roads, whatnot. That is a perfect time for persons who are more legislative oriented, who are more sending emails to um, MPs or whatever, who are more geared towards doing that stuff. That when you have that traction and you have that attention from the media and you have the attention of persons who are in power to make the change, but also kind of pressured to make some change, that's the perfect time to go in and swoop in and say, okay, thank you for doing this part. Thank you for putting us on the map. Let us now take the next step mm-hmm. and let's get this rolling. Because, and I think we see it a lot in Jamaica where a lot of times we're just talk and nothing comes from it. Everything is like a nine-day wonder. Mm-hmm. And it's like, uh, and I think it's unfortunate, especially when it's very important issues, but the persons or the organizations or the groups that you expect to, to pick up the ball now are just silent. Mm-hmm. Or you don't see anything come from it. You're like, yeah, man, it was in the news the other day. I don't really know what's happening. There's no follow up. There's no statement. There's no nothing that comes from it afterwards. And we need to, especially in like social media time and where news is so fast, it's really easy to forget things. It's really easy to move on to the next thing. And we see it on tw- I think Twitter is a perfect place where you see that mm-hmm. all the time. Every Sunday, we're talking about something new. I don't think there's a Sunday where we're talking about the same thing that we spoke about last Sunday. By Wednesday, nobody's talking about it anymore, if so long. And that is how the real world is working right now. So I encourage advocacy groups and advocates that when you are given an opportunity, an explosive opportunity, just be ready for it. And that is one of the things I'm loving with the abortion campaign that we're having now where we are still talking about the topic right and i loved how it moved from okay we're talking about it it, um back in the news about it then you know we change and abortion jamaica aren't saying all right let's let's do some form of protest let's start lobbying our legislators and you can see where they're not allowing it necessarily to be a nine-day wonder. It's almost as if they have a plan or they're saying, okay, this never worked, let's try this. And I remember when they started um, talking about calling the MPs and sending emails to the MPs and getting their statements that they started using not just Twitter fingers. It's just like, okay, you think we're not serious? Here we are, we're serious. We're coming to you guys. We're asking our legislators, we're ready, let's go. And I think that persons who, I think it's okay that, that not necessarily pick and choose which part, but you can see the value in it. And if you're comfortable enough to be a part of that and to do that, then sure, go ahead. And 
you don't have to feel boxed in to say everything, every activity or every form of activism or advocacy that a group does or an, or an association does that you necessarily have to be a part of. You can just be, feel good knowing that, well, you know, I helped write in this or I helped coming up with the plan versus being the face of the organization. And I think sometimes we get into this idea where one is better than the other. And I don't really think so. I think that both of them have their own roles to play. And at the end, we should just use both types of advocacy, um, you know, the legislative or the policy type of advocacy or the written type of advocacy and the more in-your-face activism to help get to the bottom line or get to the cause that we're facing. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think, you know, if we go back again to this whole idea of self-preservation, that you can't do everything. Right. And everything doesn't necessarily speak to you and everything you don't have strengths for everything. So mm-hmm. you have to know you're an advocate. Like if you are not the person to, as you say, go in front of the tree and stand up because, well, maybe I got just anxious the whole time. And I think, so, well, what if the tree dropped down for me and killed me dead both bath? Right. Then maybe that's just not for you. But you are a great strategist. And so. You can sit down in the office and you talk to everybody and you go and meet with the communities of people who are affected by whatever it is you're working on and listen to your colleagues and you read a newspaper and you do research and stuff and you come up with great strategies for people to implement. Then that's just you. But you're still an advocate. You're just not out there in the public's eye doing certain things, right? Because... At the end of the day, what is most important, especially because advocacy is a kind of long haul thing, is that you have to preserve yourself. There's absolutely no point in going in and after three months you are burnt out and you can't contribute anymore, right? Because then what is your value then to the movement, right? Um, of course, there might be some people who might just need to be there for short term, but everybody has to know what it is that you prefer and are more skilled at doing. Like I always say to myself, I don't think I'm necessarily the type to go into the road and to talk to people and to do certain things, but I can go to meetings and challenge people about different things and whatever. And, you know, there was a time when I also questioned myself and asked, you know, what if I, am I just being lazy and, and not wanting to expand and do other things? And, you know, over the years, I feel like I've built up myself enough to be able to do a bit of different things, but still I have my core strength where I focus on and I try not to lose sight of it because I want to seem legitimate and I want to um, be doing everything because it's just not practical. I mean, advocacy is like really, really, really hard work and you kind of have to live and breathe it no matter how it might seem to people. Right, you constantly, as you say, have to be looking for those opportunities. Something is said, and you wake up and you see it, and you have to jump at it and fight, figure out, well, what are we going to do about this kind of thing? Because this is something that is important, but also be mindful of the fact that, well, you can't jump on everything when they come up. Right? So people have to just know their strengths and know what they can do and how they can contribute to different movements. And be comfortable with it. And that doesn't mean you can't challenge yourself to develop other skills and to become more comfortable with other aspects of advocacy and activism. But we always have to be mindful of ourselves and always have to be considerate to ourselves because we have to also preserve ourselves. But yeah, I agree with you. You know, it's a lot about how you kind of look at things and 
and stuff like that because yeah, you know, you don't need for always though to run and a jump up and a um picket fence and stuff like that or or wearing shirts. Like for me, like I feel like I do so much and people already know me that I don't even bother wear like free shirts and stuff that says certain give um certain advocacy something because like sometimes I'm in space and I feel like I just want to be unseen so that I don't feel like I'm at work and people asking me questions. You wear it one and two time. Um but I feel like people are always asking me things, online people messaging you, um, you're tweeting about it, you're, uh, you're on Facebook, you're doing the same thing, you're at work, you're doing the same thing. So I feel like for me, that was like, oh, well, no, maybe I should just stop wearing these because I need like a little break sometimes. So <laughs> I don't know if you understand. I definitely understand that because I think I have positioned myself online as a certain type of person um and i get the i get the messages um i get the i get the dms i get the questions and the calls yes and sometimes i'm just like boy you know sometimes i also want to punt it and talk foolishness you know i don't want to feel like i have to always be on yeah right which is what I, which is what i feel like definitely sometimes um, but yeah, and, I, and I, it doesn't take away from how much you care about. It's just that you have, you also have other things as well. Yeah, man. And you want a break, you know? It's rough, it's rough, it's rough. If people always bombard you, like, maybe you just want to go to the supermarket and nobody don't ask you no question. Or if you end up wearing something that might identify well, the dirty of Jamaica or burn out homophobia or whatever, or people living with HIV or people too, something, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe you just end up ignoring because like you don't want, even though, like, even the other day, like I was at supermarket and somebody come up to me. I don't even know who this girl is. And she was like, you know, um, when is this event? Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I don't even too sure about the event and when the event happened um, and stuff like that. So you're kind of always on. Um, and I understand it's, it's, it's not akin to a celebrity, but it's similar in a way because you're almost identifiable. If you're kind of like identifiable like you, you know, always talking about SRA, sex and reproductive health and like issues in the healthcare service and stuff, then I can just imagine how when people see them, I could just... You know, like Sam, we think about this. Why you never talk about this? Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yes. Came to the beach and somebody come up. You know, but sometimes it's cute and nice. Because there was like this girl who came and she was like, you know, on behalf of my friends, and I would just really want to say thanks for the work that you do for those of us who can't be seen. But you know, thankfully, it never go into anything else. I, I appreciate it because sometimes you really just want to be off. Yes. Um, I actually want to spend the 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 rest of the time that we have not a lot mm-hmm. talking about talking about how advocacy groups can one position themselves very briefly and two create kind of like a general strategy or formula so that they're able to advocate for the group that they're representing and especially after something explosive has happened where the the info the the cause is straight in your face and you're trying to now leverage that attention that you're having as quickly as possible to get the results that you're looking for and that you want and being able to speak up for the persons that you represent yeah um 
Well, for one, I think you have to always be open to opportunities and not be married to whatever kind of plans you create. Um, and I know that's difficult, especially when you're getting like donor funding and you become bigger and you're kind of attracting more attention. You kind of have to have certain kinds of focus, but there has to be some amount of room to be able to constantly strategize and capitalize on opportunities that come up. I think in terms of positioning yourself, I feel like for advocacy organizations, it's about how do you um, work with communities of people who are affected by whatever issue you focus on, but also listen to people who are not necessarily a part of your cause, but might be interested in one way or the other. And even sometimes listening to your detractors to be able to figure out what are some things that you are perhaps missing, because it's not always that they're just um, vehemently opposed to what you do, but they may just not identify with your strategies and like it. Um, and I always make reference to, um, you know, way back in the day when I was at JFLAG and we started, and those days there were lots of violence and we still have lots of violence and discrimination happening, but the conversation was largely around that, right? Mm -hmm. um, and people were just always upset when JFLAG spoke and, you know, giving Jamaica a bad name, etc. And I always said to people that I remember one day um, a colleague, I'm not going to mention her name, um, but a very um, prominent person in the Jamaican society, businesswoman and stuff, tweeted and said, how to say it's just homophobia and just violence here. And here I am at Devon House, two people, two men, I think it was at the time. It wasn't girls actually. So it was even more bizarre than what we would think of. And two men were there hugging and, and whatever. And I think they also mentioned kissing and nobody did them anything. And I was like, hmm, that's interesting. And then I began to listen a little bit more to people who were against JFLAG in particular ways and saying, we're talking about this and that. And even the LGBT community at the time was saying, well, you guys only talk about violence, but do you know that this and this is happening in the next community? And you have to understand things a little differently. And I think at that time, we started to think a little bit more about how do we actually talk about the real issue of violence and discrimination, but also talk about it in a way that seems a little bit more productive, not just to the people who we are talking to overseas to understand what's happening here, but also so that the people who are on the ground feel that they are being represented and that people feel like the cause is actually a Jamaican and indigenous thing working towards a common goal. And I think when we pivoted and started to talk about violence differently, and I remember we did like an analysis of all the reports that we had gotten over a period of time and recognized that the issues, the incidents were perpetrated by young men largely. Um, the victims were young men largely in terms of who were reporting, especially the more violent incidents. They were larger from poor communities. And interestingly, the reports were sort of following the same pattern in terms of where crime and violence was prevalent in the country. So it was like St. Catherine, St. James, Clarendon, Kingston, and St. Andrew. So there were lots of similarities. And so we began to talk about it in a little different way. And you know, if you look at like JFJ, Jamaicans for Justice, I feel like they have been able to rid themselves to an extent of this idea that they are just supporting criminals, talking about children's rights and the challenges children who come in conflict with the law 
face and the fact that you shouldn't have children locked up in police stations with adults and that kind of thing. And you shouldn't have them in detention centers with adults and that they have to be separated. So I feel advocates always have to look to those for those opportunities to sometimes branch out and to expand the cars and to talk differently and speak to different audiences and recognize that you're not just speaking to one pe- people, but you're speaking to multiple people. It's all, I, Glenn Ryan, I like to joke and say, it's almost like a politician's work because you have to recognize that you're representing and speaking to and trying to engage so many different sets of people with different interests, with different experiences and stuff like that. So it's always going to be difficult, but you, I think you're spot on in saying like, this is something that entities have to constantly think about and work around. Like, I don't even remember if you remember, Sam, like this whole idea of how JFLAG was just wicked and cruel and stuff <laughs> them through yes. the Stop Murder Music campaign. And I think Marlon on a, a JFLAG um, um, Instagram live the other day say, like, you can't engage people if them feel like you yeah, stop them food, right? And I remember JFLAG came out and there was, I think, one or two articles published in the Gleaner which said, well, JFLAG is no longer part of the Stop Murder Music campaign and had Dane as the executive director kind of saying, well, I'm making an admission here that I recognize that it has caused different kinds of challenges in the Jamaican society and that even LGBT people who work in the industry would have been affected or allies would have been affected by the Stop Murder Music campaign. And I feel like that was sort of a part of the beginning of a different outlook for JFLAG by the Jamaican public at large. Um, And similar like the We Are Jamaicans campaign when it came out in 2013, and Dane headlined it, and you had Susan Goff and Alexis Goff. And it was basically to kind of disrupt this narrative that only one kind of story can be told of LGBT Jamaicans, and that's violence and death. Mm -hmm. So the campaign helped reposition um, the organization's work and give the community an opportunity to have a voice and to help other people recognize that you do not, you you can have discrimination. You talk about it, but the only you don't only have to talk about violence. Like you can talk about so many other things. I know you have LGBT people talking about mental health and workplace discrimination, being kicked out of their homes, and still talk about the violence and the deaths and all different things because it's not just one thing that happens to people in the community. Exactly, I think that's re- that's a really good lesson. Um. I think it's important that we look at our failures and we look at our crit- we look at who is criticizing us because a lot of times the persons who are criticizing us are not necessarily the criticisms are not necessarily just about you know those superficial criticisms right. but when you take a listen to them it can really help you to pivot um your strategy and pivot how it is you can reach your community and I think a lot of times especially criticisms from those within the community that we're serving plays a very important role. And I like to talk a lot about rapport and credibility and just people feeling as though what you say you're doing, the the community that you're serving actually feels like you're doing that. And a lot of times I think what happens is that we don't take a second to say, okay, wait, this is what I'm doing. I think I'm doing a good job. I think I'm representing my community well. And then you'll realize that there are a few subsets of the community that feel like, boy, 
Is that when you have an MP where you say, I'm not doing nothing for me, I'm not fixing my road, and this MP is like, yeah, man, my constituents love me, they're doing a good job, and it's almost, it, it feels as though you're ignoring the problems that one particular set might be having, and then you start having feelings like, well, I'm up to today, I had a conversation with somebody literally right before this about saying that, well, those who feel represented will support and those who don't feel represented will just not support. But we can't just leave it at that. If you're, if you're representing a community, you need to listen to the voices in the community and try as best as possible to fill in the gaps that you're missing out so that you can have a much more successful advocacy campaign and you can have a much more successful potential for change and creating the change that you ultimately say that you're trying to do and achieve. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, if you don't do that, you're going to always leave yourself in problem. And um, if I go back again, since that's where I've I spent like substantial part of my professional life since leaving school, like I remember when, um, you know, back in the day before you had a wee change, there was a women's for women's group. Um, but they ended up falling off and they weren't as active. And I think in a lot of ways, their work was also more social related than hardcore advocacy, even though the community building kind of thing is so critical to the advocacy. And I remember people saying it's JFAG, not JFLAG, because the women weren't represented and stuff like that. And sometimes some of the comments were hurtful. Um, some of them were quite harsh and piercing. And you were like, well, because people are challenging what you're doing and challenging um, you know, your sacrifices, especially at a time when a lot of people didn't necessarily want to do certain things. And I remember we looked at it and we sat down and we thought about how do we begin to engage people? And we listened to some of the women who were like um, the biggest people online, um, like on Facebook those days was what was more active, um, saying, well, on now represent we, how women are represented, what is the organization doing for women? Even though you're saying LGBT people were not feeling the L in your LGBT people that you're saying. And, you know, it ended up that we started to work with some of the women and we did some work around like violence against women who are um, lesbians, um, talking about like corrective rape and doing some sessions with police officers. And we end up, I remember writing a kind of um, policy program to say, well, what this is going to do is to train women about advocacy and LGBT issues and representation for them to then come back and challenge the organization to be better. And that led to um, We Change. And mm -hmm. you know, we have an organization like We Change. Similarly, um, you know, like we have a whole community of LGBT people who are asylum seekers and living in a number of different countries. And little to or knowledge, some of the progress here, like a pride celebration for a number of years, incident free, was causing serious challenges for people who are seeking asylum. Because if you think about the asylum system and you read anything about it, you recognize that in a number of countries, they have very limited way in which they think about the challenges that people face. And the mm -hmm. more some kind of progress, then you're not going to be able to get the asylum. You're going to have to fight tooth and nail, really. And I remember one year, I think it might have been 2018, there were some people online who were cursing JFLAG and saying JFLAG causing things to be bad and making the country look rosy and stuff. Um, 
And I remember talking to one of the young men and listening to the live as they sort of trashed the advocates and not just J-Flag and all sorts of things. And then I reached out to him and, you know, spoke to him and some some other folks. And from that, we ended up starting to do what we call like an annual country status update, which is sent to different people and sent to people who support asylum seekers so that they can see, well, here's a situation. This is the number of reports. This is the kind of progress, but you can't mistake a, a, a pride celebration, for example, as wholesale progress for the entire community because people are still reporting incidents and are still being affected and stuff like that. So, you know, as you say, you know, we ha- always have to be listening to people because advocacy is a lot about doing, but it's also a lot about listening as well so that you're always guided and you know what exactly um, you should be talking about and doing. Exactly. I think that's, I think that's a great place to end it. We covered maybe more than what I had anticipated or what I wanted to cover, but we definitely hit the pertinent points that I wanted us to speak about. Um, I'm going to just give you this opportunity now to plug anything you want. Um, where can we find you? Is there anything you want to, anybody you want to shout out, anything you want to promote right now? I'll give you the opportunity to do that. Um, I mean, just big up everybody who take on a cause and try to represent it in their own little way. Um, and if you can, reach out to different organizations, support them. You know, we have so many organizations here and a number of them are volunteer-led um, and barely have resources to do the hard work that they do. So if you can support in any way, even by merely adding your voice, do it. And where can we find you? Um, well, you can find me online at Javion with an extra N-J-A-E-V-I-O-N-N on all my socials. <laughs> yes. I'm celebrity. Yeah, right? right? It's like, oh yeah, all my social media is just this one thing. Right? If you're not, you should follow him on Twitter. I find that our Twitter conversations are often the most engaging. You do a lot of political commentary and really kind of simplify for a lot of people um certain complex concepts so thanks javion for being a part of this conversation thank you so much for being so willing to have this convo with me i think it's very important especially with everything that's happening right now and advocacy you know i you know my passion for advocacy from long time so I'm Samantha Johnson. Again, thank you so much for listening. You can reach out to me on my social media. On Twitter, I'm at the layman's DR. Same for on Instagram. If you want to hit me up, you can always DM me or you can send me an email at thelaymansdoctor at gmail.com. All spelled out. And don't forget to share this podcast. Um, don't forget to leave a comment, leave a review, and of course, subscribe so you can always stay up to date with our latest episodes. Thank you so much for listening. And Jay, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for being a part of this convo with me. No problem, it's a pleasure.